This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. We want to get started tonight in our continuation of a study. I was telling Brother David while I go, this sure is a complicated study. And the thing is, uh, I know it is for me when I, when I sit down and I, I do the uh, preparation to this, I, as long as I have been studying prophecy, uh, the Lord's, it's amazing how he shows me something new each and every time that I get into the word. Uh, really, truly, that goes along with any message. Uh, but especially realizing that in all the years that I have been studying prophecy, uh, I, I don't feel that I have adequately even begun to scratch the surface of uh, this enormous, enormous subject. And the thing is, uh, when when I'm under the realization of that, I try to envision sitting in the pew and trying to digest some of this uh, because I know there, there are no really pumping the brakes, so to speak, and, and we're moving forward uh, as the Lord would have us to go. And so I do pray that uh, it is a blessing to you. It's a challenge to me. It's a blessing to be able to teach the Word of God, the whole council. Uh, but I pray that something that we talk about, you are surely um, getting, and that uh, you—it's—it's it's a blessing to you. That's—it would all be in vain if it were not uh, working in strides and rhythm uh, to the spirit and and to the study. So um, we give God the praise for it. So we're going to look tonight in Revelation chapter six, and we have just gone through the study of the rider of the first horse that is mentioned uh, in this passage. And uh, it is the rider of the white horse. There, uh, if I were to have a Sunday morning sermon in brief on this passage of Scripture, I would entitle it the Day of the Horseman. Now, there are four specific horses that ride into uh, the scene immediately after the rapture. And uh, the first one uh, is the Antichrist who comes in on a a white horse that symbolizes, represents a false peace that is going to come in on the premise of a treaty with Israel that uh, persuades them to uh, tear down walls and uh, fences and all kinds of things to where even for this period of time, the, the Arabs, Muslims, Palestinians, however you want to define them, they're all going to be getting along with the with the Israelis, and the Israelis are going to be getting along with these people. It's going to be an amazing type of false peace for the first three and a half years after the rapture takes place. So we have already discussed the events uh, that uh, transpire when the rider of this white horse, a symbol of peace, comes in. Now the study takes us beyond that, to verses 3 and 4, Revelation chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. We want to spend a little time here with this. Okay, so the word says, And when he had opened the second seal, 
I heard the second beast say, come and see. And there went out another horse that was red. And power was given to him. There's several observations in this verse. Power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. Okay, so the scene dramatically changes from a period of time of peace. You see that this second horse or the rider of the second horse uh, according to the word of God, is red. And there went out another horse that was red. And uh, again, let me emphasize that the white horse represents peace and the red horse, it represents slaughter and it represents rivers of blood that will actually take place in this time. Now, an interesting thing about the rider of the white, of the red horse, I want you to look, the, look at this because this is significant. I find in my study, you might find it interesting yourself. Uh, but it says in verse number four, and there went out another horse that was red and power. Look at this. Power was given to him. Do you see that? So in times that we do not understand, and by the way, the church is not here at this particular time. Uh, you're just understanding prophecy as it unfolds. What I'm reading right now does not pertain to the Christian. The trump of God is already sounded in chapter 4. The events of chapter 4 and 5 were ushered into the presence of the Lord at the judgment seat. And so these events now are unfolding and transpiring on the earth. Uh, and sometimes, uh, just like I was preaching a few Sundays ago, why does God allow, if he's in control, and why does God allow all of the trouble and the horrors uh, in the world today? Well, God permits it. God permits it for a reason. He always works in the premise of his word, and he always does everything with reason, a purpose. God never does anything without a purpose. And so the rider of this red horse, he comes in, he intentionally disrupts this false peace that he has made with Israel, and God permits the rider of this red horse to assume uh, some power. And I, I want you to notice what, uh, there's a passage of scripture here, if you want to make a notation in your Bible here, in Matthew chapter 28 and verse number 18, I want you to see this word. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, all power, uh, this is important, not, not just some power, not most of the power, but look at this. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. So when men obtain power, whether given by God or whether permitted by God, God has all power, which means this, that God is all-powerful. That means that he's omnipotent. If there was any power greater than God or any power equal to God, then God would not be omnipotent. But because he's omnipotent, meaning all-powerful, there is no power on earth or in heaven any greater than God. So we have to remember this. 
So, and this is hard to, to get, but it's, it's part of the teaching. Whether it was permitted by God, given by Jesus, or whether or not God allowed a demon or a devil to exercise power on the earth, according to the word of God, power has to be given. No, no one can just become omnipotent greater than God. All power originates with God. And Jesus came and saying unto them, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. So um, even, even let me give it to you this way. When Jesus was on trial, and we're studying now the seven sayings of the cross, and we talked Sunday a little bit about how that he was tried illegally six times during the night. When he was experiencing one of those trials, Pilate asked Jesus a question. And as Pilate reminded Jesus that he was a very powerful individual as Jesus was standing before him, that he, he had the power to release him or to crucify him. Do you remember that? I want you to notice what Jesus said to Pilate in response of that in John chapter 19 and verse number 11. Jesus answered, thou couldst have no power at all against me. Look at this. Except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. So listen, Jesus made it crystal clear, even to Pilate. Listen, you think you are some type of a tyrant and a bully, and you think that you have all the power. Jesus was setting the record straight. He was saying, listen, you have no power. You have no idea what you're talking about. And that's probably one of the uh, thoughts that the songwriter had in mind when uh, they wrote, he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. He could have, as I mentioned Sunday in the message, when these Roman centurions were in the garden and Jesus asked, whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And they all fell backward. Jesus could have very easily stepped over every one of them. See, all power, all power comes from God, whether given for God's purpose and glory in, in a wonderful, magnificent way, and we can see how he worked hand in hand with the Israelites in the Old Testament, or whether God just permits things to happen, God could shut it down anytime he wanted to. But the point being tonight, that all power belongs to God. Now, so when we go back to verse number four, this is a power that God permits the Antichrist to assume. Power, as you notice in the scripture, the word says here, and power was given to him. All right, and listen carefully. There's going to be a period of time where there's going to be peace and where there's going to be prosperity on the earth immediately following the rapture. It's going to last for three and a half years. But there will soon come an interruption to all of that. And, and I believe this, that it's soon going to happen. The rapture of the church, I believe it's very soon going to happen. Now, when the rapture takes place and the peace goes 
and runs its course, it's going to be very noticeable to the earth that things are dramatically beginning to shift and to change. And again, the rider of the red horse, as we have already spent time talking about, he comes in with a bow and with not arrows. But according to this passage of Scripture here, power is going to come with him, and he is going to uh, assume he is going to have a great sword. And his purpose at this point in time is to take peace from the earth. Again, he comes in as a peacemaker. He comes in bringing peace to the earth, but soon that's going to be noticeably interrupted and he's going to take peace. His mission is to take peace from the earth. And according to the word of God, that blood is going to flow incredibly uh, in a hostile way. Later on in Revelation, we'll see that uh, it is actually when you, uh, by the way, the battle of Armageddon will take place in the valley of Jezreel. And uh, Napoleon said that it was the greatest battlefield that he had ever seen on the earth. And according to the word of God, blood is going to flow 200 miles long, 10 miles wide, six feet deep. The word actually says up to the horse's bridle. So you can imagine the horrific bloodbath that's going to take place just by these uh, descriptions in Revelation. Now, when you go back to Revelation 6, 3, and 4, this is obviously and again where the false peace ends. And let me say this about peace. We know that there's not going to be any real peace until Jesus sets his millennial kingdom up. But I want to back up a little bit, and I want you to think about this. God did offer the world peace at one time. And that's when the Prince of Peace was born in Bethlehem of Judea. But he was rejected by his own people. The word says he came unto his own and his own received him not. He was rejected. And as Isaiah said, he would become a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. So the Prince of Peace came. God did give this earth peace through the Prince of Peace. Obviously, you know how the story turns out. All right. Now, we move on from this to the next three uh, seals, and it it continues to, to manifest itself. The rider of the third horse. So we've talked about the white horse, the red horse. Now, the third horse is the black horse. Let's read this in Revelation chapter 6, verse 5 and 6. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And beheld, and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in hand, in his hand. And let's look at verse 6. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, Now this is, this is interesting. I want to try to, my best to teach you something here and for you to get the idea of the brevity that's going to uh, become uh, very hostile in, in the tribulation. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, look at this carefully, a measure of wheat. Maybe you've heard reference to this. I'm going to try my best to explain it to you this evening. 
a measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny, and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. Now, I'm going to reemphasize something in just a moment, but let me say this, that I know some tremendous Bible teachers and scholars in Revelation. And uh, I have many, many different commentaries and uh, books that people have written of good authorship through the years. And I can tell you that uh, there are many that disagree with each other. And uh, there are some topics in the subject that I agree with, with some of these profound and renowned writers of study, and there's some that I disagree with. So I agree with some and disagree. My point being is this, that not, not everybody has it right. I don't know if I have it all right. My point has always been this. If I am wrong in the prophecies of the tribulation, the millennium, and the eternal kingdom, it won't make me any more saved, and it surely won't make me lost. So people can disagree with all of this stuff from daylight to dark, uh, and it has nothing to do with grace, eternal life. So I say all of that to say that we may never have it all right as far as this goes, but one thing we cannot err on, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. We cannot err on that. It's the one-way ticket to heaven. Jesus said, I'm the way. All right, but I want you to look at this because this, this, is, this is a very controversial passage that we're reading, and I know a lot of good people that have very different opinions in their study about it. So I want us to look at this. The black horse, by the way, typically universally has always been uh, known as the color of death. That's, that's what... Uh, uh, it, it represents, it's a symbol of lamentation or it's a symbol of mourning. Uh, and when this writer, the third writer, comes in riding the black horse, according to the word here, if you see it, he is holding a balanced beam. It's, it's like a scale. And it, going back to biblical times, it was a device ordinarily used in ancient times for commercial transactions. And so now we're reading about, in these particular passages, we're reading about great economical uh, distress that's fallen on the earth as this writer comes in and things now dramatically change. And all of a sudden, John heard a voice saying, he's talking about a measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny. Now let me give you some of my own study uh, from the past, a, a measure of wheat, look at this, was the quantity that when ground into flour, it would produce a small loaf of bread. All right, I want to say that again. This is important. Because here in chapter 6, and we start even getting more complicated in the uh, breakdown of these scriptures. But 
A measure of wheat was the quantity that when ground into flour, it produced a small loaf of bread. Now, a penny back in the day that we're reading here, it was a Roman silver coin. And something interesting here, back in the day, this thing called a penny was equivalent to a day's wage. So don't get the idea now you're talking about the copper penny you have in your pocket. A penny back in the day was equivalent to a day's wage. All right, now, in fact, I want you to get a little bit more into this. I want to read a couple of verses for you in Matthew chapter 20. I want us to look at verses 2 through 13. Matthew chapter 20, verses 2 through 13. The word says, and when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day. You see this? A penny a day. We're talking about the same thing in Revelation. When he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day. It's talking about a day's wage. He sent them into his vineyard. And when he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right I will give you. And they went their way. Again he went out about the sixth and ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle, and saith unto them, Why stand ye here all day idle? They say unto him, Because no man hath hired us. He saith unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall ye receive. So when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard saith unto his steward, Call the laborers and give them their hire, or their wage, their pay, beginning from the last unto the first. And when they came, that was hired about the eleventh hour, they received every man a penny. A penny now for a day's wage. Verse 11. And when they had received it, they murmured against the goodman of the house, saying, These last have wrought but one hour, or worked one hour, and thou hast made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden and heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Dost not thou agree with me for a penny? That's talking about a day's wage. So let me explain something to you. In the economy of the first, and this is important to understand, in the economy of the first century, what we're talking about in these scriptures here was the equivalent whether it be in Matthew, whether it be in Revelation, it was the equivalent of a day's wage. The salary for a day. Now think about that, all right? Now that's talking about uh, the, the uh, small loaf of bread. Now, barley, as it's mentioned in this scripture right here, let's reread it again in verse 6. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, a measure of wheat 
We talked about the wheat, four penny. We've just read all of that. And three measures of barley for a penny. All right, now, so barley, it, it was more coarse and, and it was usually when it was ground up, it was ground up to make animal feed with. That's, that's important. And, uh, by the way, in Bible days, when barley was ground, uh, it was typically reserved for the slaves to eat, a lower class of, of people. So in breaking this down now and understanding it, three loaves of that quality, according to the mathematics here, three barley loaves could be purchased for a day's salary or a day's wage. And the implications having understand all of that, and I know this is coming at you fast and hard, and we don't have time to get a calculator and all that stuff out here, but when you, when you consider the severity of what John the Revelator was talking about, the implications are dire. This is a grave situation because this is what is happening in the tribulation. Whatever one's wage was for a day is what it would take to purchase one loaf of white bread. Now, that's going to be catastrophic. And so three loaves of the course, the barley implies severe economic conditions that are going to uh, accommodate the rider of this black horse, which means this, there are going to be unbelievable food shortages. So in other words, when this particular time of the tribulation takes place, unbelievable, uncomprehendable economic collapse is going to be happening all over the world. Food prices are going to be astronomical. And we refer again back to the words of Jesus in Matthew 24, 7. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes and divers places. All of these things, I think, are leading up to the rapture. But when the rapture takes place and the tribulation unfolds, these things will be catastrophic beyond human imagination. All of this is going to be the result of unlimited warfare. And I believe at this point in the tribulation, there is going to be a nuclear war like never be seen before. So, when you stop and think about this, there, there's going to be, at this point, worldwide warfare. There's going to be a complete breakdown of civilization and social order. There's going to be a total economic collapse. But I want you to see the final comment here, and this is where uh, particular scholars and theologians disagree. I don't, I don't put myself into that category. I'm going to probably give you two points of view here. Because when the scripture says at the end of verse number six, 
and see thou not hurt the oil and the wine. Okay, so what does that mean? Now, one interpretation of this passage of Scripture, and I'm not saying the Scripture is open to private interpretation. We're definitely taught against that. But I'm going to tell you that there are different ways that people have approached this Scripture, and one of which is that olive oil, if you're familiar with the land of Israel at all, you know that olive oil runs very fluently in the Holy Land. There are olive trees, olive oils, olives, everything, olive wood. I mean, it's everything is in, in the uh, olive family. So olive oil and the grapes, especially the grapes of Eshkel, you remember that when uh, the spies were sent into uh, the land to scout it out, the, the grapes were like basketballs. I mean, the wine and oil are traditionally the trademarks of Israel, the Holy Land, the Promised Land. They, they are typically symbolic of, of Israel's economy. Now, it may be, I don't know, but it may be that God... In this particular time, because the Antichrist is going to drive the Jewish people out of their temple, he's going to create what is called the abomination of desolation. He's going to say that they can no longer worship and sacrifice in their temple. He's going to set up an image of himself. All the Jewish people will flee, according to the word of God. They will run for the hills, particularly to the mountains of Petra. And it could be, I don't know, that God is ordering in this economic collapse of the world that Israel, the Jewish people, would be spared from the judgment that's coming that God is going to rain down uh, on everybody else. Now, that's that it could be, I don't know. It could be momentarily, it could be uh, something that will definitely change. Now, another uh, perception of this verse is representative of the oil and the wine that it's talking about rich people. It's talking about very wealthy people. And I have read commentaries and studied perceptions where there has been some that believe that at this particular time in the tribulation, not forever and not all the way through, but for this moment, that the wealthy is going to be excluded from the famine of the worldwide uh, collapse. Uh, and uh, there is a verse, let me show you this in Proverbs chapter 21, verse number 17. He that loveth pleasure shall be a poor man. He that loveth wine and oil uh, shall not be rich. All right, in Jeremiah 31, 12. Therefore they shall come in and sing the height of Zion and shall flow together to the goodness of the Lord for wheat and for wine and for oil and for the young of the flock and of the herd. And their soul shall be as watered as a watered garden and they shall not sorrow any more at all. And then Psalms 104, verse number 15. And, and I believe that some of these verses can easily be taken out of context. And wine that maketh glad the heart of man, and oil, here we have the wine and the oil, to make his face shine, and bread which strengthens man's heart. But let me say this, though. Regardless of what 
perspective this is. The judgment, the chastisement that is coming under this particular seal that the black horse produces, it's going to fall uh, eventually on all classes of people rich and poor. There is no escape from it. And so there's coming a severe consequence uh, to everyone. So when when you read a verse of Scripture like this, um, it, there, there are a couple of study points in that. The measure of wheat for a penny, the barley loaves, uh, the, the oil and the wine. Again, I've heard uh, several perceptions on how to approach this verse of Scripture. That's why I don't want to be dogmatic with this, uh, because uh, I'm not going to be here when this stuff takes place, and I hope you won't either. Uh, so um, I'm just giving it to you like uh, we have it uh, in our hearts for the moment. Um, so whoever has it right, they, they might get an extra star in the crown in heaven. I don't know. But uh, thank God I won't be here for that time. Amen. It's a good stopping place. I don't want to start 7 and 8 because there's something else very interesting unfolding here uh, in the fourth seal. So we need to stop here tonight. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.